everyone, welcome back here to the Under Pressure podcast in our second face-to-face podcast while being one and a half metres away. We're not yet up to the contact podcast yet. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's shocking. <laughs> but we'll keep on moving with that horrible gag. Joining me like he always does is Jake Barker. Welcome back. Thanks, Matt. How you been this week? Yeah, I've been good. Yourself? Yeah, it's been going all right. I've been watching a bit of sport as of late, obviously. Yeah, it's uh, all starting to come back, which is obviously brilliant. Now, I know you're very excited about a lot of sports that I'm not, and I think that's a great thing about the podcast, but one of the sports you're really into is the netball, yeah. and you've got a few updates for us. Yeah, so, um, yeah, as Matt said, I'm a huge Huge netball fan, uh, Suncorp Super Netball, and the, and the league over in uh, New Zealand as well, the uh, ANZ Championship, I believe it's called. So over the last week, there's been a lot of lot of lot of news that's uh, come out. Uh, on the 25th of May, uh, the the league and the uh, Australian Border Force com- Commissioner allowed five athletes that were from overseas to actually go home and still come back. So I thought that was that was really good. So five players from five players from the competition, a couple from South Africa and a couple from England, went over to home, back home to visit family, and then um, the commissions allowed them to come back. Obviously, being tested and uh, of and isolating is the word. And yeah, I thought that was really good. They have, obviously have to quarantine and whatnot, but I thought that was really good by the league and and. Something that's sh- something that shows that netball's a-, a growing sport in Australia, I think. And news that has just just dropped recently, actually, is that the Suncorp Super Netball is is going to happen. It, ha- it dropped yesterday. It's gonna it's gonna start on August the first. The full uh, sixty game season. So there's eight teams. So sixty matches throughout that throughout the full season. Um, I know, like. A lot of sports are looking at the crowd perspective, and obviously it's hard to look that now. I know basketball with the NBL sort of said we need crowds for our payment model to work. Is that the same in netball, is, or do they have a different model that's less crowd dependent? Um, well, obviously with with netball, it still is a bit of a growing sport. I'd say basketball is has has that a bit more revenue at the moment, but definitely I would say the that netball is is on the rise and crowds are becoming even bigger and i think in a few years time that the rate that netball's growing in the the junior levels and there's going to be a lot more leagues and a lot more fans in in future years so i think i think that's really good and i think it'll eventually get to that point where it is as big as an nbl or or, or something like that so it's it's certainly on the way uh the so the ceo Chris Simington said the start of the season represents a significant step forward to getting back on the court, which is really good. He went on to say that they're thrilled to get the start date out because it's been locked away for a little bit, so they're happy to now release that to everyone. All the stakeholders have a have a date to work work towards to, and fans can get excited about the the, the coming of the starting of the season. And I, I, I'm certainly one that's very very excited that the season is going to get going and. Unfortunately, obviously, we can't go and watch, but I, I enjoy watching netball whenever I get the chance to. And I think one thing that is good for them, and it might seem an odd thing to say, is actually starting a little bit later 
is actually a benefit for, to them because a lot of sports are obviously have, like the NRL a couple of days ago started. You're going to have footing in 10 days and you've got other sports that are all starting up at about now. Having it a little bit later, a little bit less noise, I can sort of make a, while those other sports are going on, their own little launch window to create excitement. So it's an, if they do it well, it's a wonderful opportunity, but if they do it badly, there's a few issues there for them. Yeah, no, I uh, yeah, completely, completely agree with uh, what you're saying there. They can sort of just sneak their way in, and it's um, the the viewership won't be as far down as they would if they started at the same time as what yeah, you're saying. The, the NRL, and the there's going to be still a lot of sport, but less noise because it won't be every sport launch launching in the same week, which I think is a actually a really good thing that most organisations are sort of like. Yeah, we understand that your organisation's done this week. We might give you a little bit of airtime there. And I think another example of that is Cricket Victoria and the AFL coming to an agreement over community sport to ensure that seasons can happen for both codes. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly right. And, and another good thing that uh, Netball, Netball Australia has done and the players have agreed to is that they're still going to be uh, paid with the current agreement that they're on. They're... I think there's seventy percent of their match fee they lose they they they're gonna get their, their fee, um, so they're still gonna get that they're gonna get twelve hours per week with full preseason training and um, a late June where athletes will return to like their normal twenty three hours of a training week and then they'll get paid from then on. So I, I should know the answer to this. When was the season supposed to be starting? Uh, it was meant to start in May. Yeah. So it's only it's 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 obviously a couple months out, but. Um, I think even though the pause has happened, they're, they're, it's good that they're still going to get a full season in. No fixture yet, uh, no fixture yet out, but they're still currently working on that. Obviously, trying to fit as many games as they can in in as in a tight spot as possible, and that might come to having maybe a couple of games a weekend or a game during game on a Wednesday or something like that, rather than just a weekend. And I know last year they sort of had their final series in line with the AFL footy finals and the NRL finals by actually being a bit later. Does that mean they're going to have their own little window after the AFL sort of in the spring carnival time where there's a little bit more airtime for other sports? Yeah, I think they end up will. They end up will have that because the NBL isn't, won't be starting until the AFL and NRL seasons are finished. So with netball starting that little bit fraction early, they're going to have that time where their final series where cricket's is to... where cricket's still starting to warm up. So it's actually that's it. Could this be something that they look at in the future of getting their finals in that little bit of a separate airtime window? I think it'd be a I think it'd be a great idea if they could if they could find that window. Yeah, because then all the eyes would be on them and. Other people would be watching new new sort supporters. Of, sort and... of been in that little October November spread. Spring carnival still warming up, getting to the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, like that, with... that's exactly right. With the, some seasons sort of beginning fin- and then finishing, maybe yeah. in the middle, and then this this league is becoming like the key vocal point of of sport for like maybe that few weeks. Yeah, like and that. a lot of sports, and that'd be really good for yeah. netball, I think. And I think a lot of sports are sort of looking at this time of. We could have a blank slate next year. How could we do it? And I think maybe that could be one option for them. Um, and I know the A League's looking at preferred times, potentially even a winter season. Um, I heard over the radio the other day, um, just half listening to it, and 
that could cause ground issues with the NRL and rugby union, but who knows? I'm not an expert in soccer, um, but yeah, just a lot of sports are looking at different timelines that they could use. Yeah. Um, big story that I read today, um, actually in the cricket world, in domestic cricket, in fact, was uh, Tasmania dropping uh, James Faulkner, the finisher. I still find it hard to believe that he's without a state state deal. What uh, y- yourself, Jake? Yeah, I was I was actually very surprised by that. He, he's obviously been a bit of a stalwart down for Tasmania and obviously the Melbourne Stars until he moved back to Hobart the last couple of seasons. Mm. But I think it, it does come dumb, does come as a shock as he was the the number one choice for the like the ODIs and and the the T20s for a long time mm. and got a got a test or two in there as well. But I think. It's definitely definitely surprising for yeah. a lot of Australian supporters. So Tasmanians for well. me, I, I've I actually thought he was playing more cricket. I, I sort of looked at some of his stats today after reading the news, and since being man of the match in the World Cup final on in the end of March uh, 2015, where he was averaging more than 40 with the bat and 30 with the ball, that is phenomenal for any all rounder. Yeah, 100%. E- even a batsman, just as a sole batsman in a one day team, that is phenomenal. And when you take into man, he was normally coming in the bottom of the order and needing to get 60 off 30, 40 balls to win a game for Australia, which he did more often than not. Um, just makes those stats look even better. Is that. Oh, just lost my notes. That's embarrassing. So, um, he actually had a huge negative period with the bat for both Australia and Tasmania. Um, which were my stats gone? That was um, so he was Faulkner made it to twenty just three times from the, from the World Cup decider to being cut from the national contract list in April twenty seventeen. So like, yeah, okay. Hit a rough patch. Uh, you think, what did he then do when he got back to Tasmania? He had serious knee troubles and it really hampered his bowling performance and his bowling sort of then um, lacked penetration. He last played in an ODI in October 2017 and uh, he hasn't played a Shield game since 2017 either after playing in the final test of the 2015 Ashes Series in England. So he's he, he's had a forgettable run in the Big Bash as well for the Hobart Hurricanes. He scored just eight runs in four innings, but managed ten wickets at an economy rate of seven point six and over, and was the team uh, the Hurricanes' leading wicket taker the year before. So his form has dramatically fallen off a cliff. Yeah, completely. He's 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 really lost it since that 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 last Test match in in England. He's sort of he's he's been on the down. He's been since on the, the World Cup like, final. It's just it's been all down downhill really from then. And he's I think Tasmania have seen that and have gone maybe maybe this is it. He needs a fresh start, and they've decided to not renew his Tasmanian contract. And you'd think okay, Tasmania are losing a lot of experience this year with um, George Bailey um, retiring to be on the uh, National Selection Committee, and now Faulkner, you think, have lost a lot of leadership. They've brought in Pete Siddle. I think it's a phenomenal pickup. Still doesn't seem right seeing him wearing any other state colour than the navy blue of Victoria. But they don't need his experience now with Siddle having been a multiple test veteran, um, played cricket for Australia more recently in all formats of the game. 
Um, I get it. And you look at where he now sits in the all-rounder list. He's clearly below Marcus Stoinis and Mitchell Marsh as Australia's first choice um, pace bowling all-rounders. Yeah. So he's he's off the, completely off the radar there. He's still got one year left on his contract with the Hurricanes, which it's a, it's a big, big year for him. And, like, you're sort of going around the, the states on what states might want to pick him up. Um, won't be WA because I've got Mitchell Marsh and Marcus Stoinis playing for them. South Australia have a plethora of bowlers. Um, Victoria really wanting to look at some of those all-rounders like Will Parker and uh, Fraser McGurk getting more of an opportunity at the top level. With the ball as well too, yeah. With the ball. Um, New South Wales have got Australia's first choice bowling attack pretty much and then some very handy regulars. Might be an opportunity there, but... Purely because of the fact that most of the bowlers are off playing for Australia. There off, might be yeah, a off for Australia there, there yeah. but I was about to say um, with O'Keefe going, but they've also just picked up Zampa in um, New South Wales. Another... It's been a lot of movement in the uh, state teams. Maybe Queensland might be his best bet. Yeah, actually, I think Queensland could be a good fit in that in that middle order as the number seven. They do have Michael Nisa, who's been in and around the Australian team as well. Uh, he's been known for his batting as well for the Adelaide Strikers, and and obviously a great death bowler as as, as James Faulkner is as well. So you could you could almost see Queensland might be a really good option for him. Maybe then, even if they go sort of the um, Nick Madison approach that Victoria did a couple of years ago on, and any state could do this um, of. We're not going to give you a contract, but we'll give you an opportunity in a few games, and if you perform, we'll give you a contract mid-year and the year after. And that's that's worked wonders for Nick Madison. He's gone for many idea uh, for many eyes. Someone that should never get the opportunity of playing for Australia again. And where to be fair, he did get selected for Australia very prematurely, and he wasn't in good form when he got picked. No, yeah, uh, it was just a series of unfortunate events where they needed a batsman and they went, let's give this kid a go. He's clearly talented and he's worked really hard. I think he should be given another opportunity at Baggy Green. He's, in my eyes, one of the best talents in Australia at the moment with the bat. He's had a phenomenal run. But maybe give Faulkner that opportunity somewhere. It's worked for Victoria then. And maybe Victoria, look at that then. Um, He's got an association. Well, he used to play for the Stars. So he knows a lot of the coaching staff and there's a bit of a crossover there. So it might be Victoria if they can fit him in as a, even as the experienced sort of um, role Peter still played in the Australian side, the the wise head in the squad to help these young all-rounders. Yeah, I, I, I feel like you're right. I, I do think he's going to get get that chance, whether whoever it may be, I, I believe he'll, he'll get that opportunity to, to show what he's still got and have that, Nick, Nick Madison type chance to sort of prove himself one more time and have that last run at it. And the other opportunity that they um, Falkland could investigate is let's just stay contracted for the Hurricanes this year. But another state doesn't pick me up. It's not the end of the world. Maybe actually playing less cricket might be actually a good thing for him to just physically and mentally freshen up. And there's also um, obviously. Not all the T20 leagues are operating at the moment. Maybe he could go down that path as sort of doing what Chris Lynn does and tour the world on T20 cricket. It might, he might not play for Australia again. I'd love to see him because he was one of the most phenomenal players to watch. But maybe he could go down the the T20 
franchise path. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's quite made the name for himself like Chris Lynn just yet, but I feel like in in future years he will he will make that as an all rounder. I think I think he has, but I just think he's been had so many injuries and form that he's sort of the forgotten name in in world cricket. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably that's a fair comment. I'd say yeah, he he has had his fair share of injuries. You're right, and maybe, maybe that maybe that is maybe someone will take a chance on him and he'll get a chance in an IPL or he'll get a chance in for yeah. a state team, which I have no doubt he will. I think even if he just goes to the Bangladesh, Pakistani, Caribbean Premier Leagues, I think that's where. He's going to have to start off. I don't see him getting an IPL contract. Um, it's just too big. And if you are going to get an overseas player, you're looking at the the Ben Stokes, the Marcus Joynesses, the the Mitchell Marshes, the the elite all rounders in world cricket and cricket. And I think those three are the three of the best all rounders in cricket at the moment in the white ball game. Oh, one hundred percent. And obviously, Faulkner was one of those. In, I think in for, times gone by, in times, times gone, gone by, Faulkner tops that list. Yeah, his that innings that he played at the the Gabba where Australia were nine down and needed sixty seventy runs to win. Australia had no right to win that game. Oh yeah, that was a phenomenal game. That I couldn't. I, I, I watch that constantly. It's on YouTube. Yeah, it's. I like, watched that last ten overs. It's he, amazing. He, Australia had no. Very much like the Ben Stokes innings in the Ashes. Australia had lost the game. No chance of winning. And then he just pulls, I think it was like 60 or 70 off 40-odd balls. So it was just brilliant batting. Now, we saw, um, well, we spoke in, I think, our first podcast about the side that we think will benefit most of all from the reduced fixture. And um, I said Essendon um, because it allowed them to get a few more players fit. Um, and Jake said the Gold Coast Suns. Um so now, looking back with a bit of hindsight, knowing that we're starting in 10 days, we've got, uh, we know which players are injured now. Does your view on that change? Because we've come back a lot sooner than I thought we might have come back, hasn't given the, those, the Suns players a whole lot of time to get their bodies ready, but it still gave, gave them a little bit. So I would say it probably wouldn't be one of my number one choices now, but I'd still say it's 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 top five. They've They've had more time to build their bodies, but not not fully in, in a whole season. For me, I, I've actually gone the other way with Gold Coast. Knowing more than at the time, we thought, okay, they have time to get fit and learn, and obviously they had a lot of time away from the squad, and we've heard a lot of players, particularly younger players, struggle for that motivation with training, being away from the club. That's why I, I, I really want Gold Coast to work. I think they've got a lot of really good players, and... Let's be honest, if the Gold Coast fail over the next three years, they're gone as a footy club. And I'd, I'd love to see them keep going and actually be successful, but they needed, not necessarily this year, I think the footy world will forgive them, but I would be very surprised if they had a good year this year given the lack of support that some of these players would have had working remotely from from their home states. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, completely agree. I, I think it's one of those, it's one of those ones where... It, it, you're an AFL fan. You want you re- just really want them to do well. Like you yeah. really want them to. You want every team you, to be you, competitive, you, you, and just right now, it's just not happening for them. And for me, I went Essendon, and pretty much I went Essendon as it allowed time for Joe Danaher to get fit. And it at the moment doesn't look like that's happened, but they've also now got um, 
question marks over Orazio Fantasia and a few others. So for me, looking at now, Essendon's not that team for me. I decide penciled in my ladder between 7th and 12th that with the revised schedule have gone to a top four lock in Geelong. I'm very surprised to hear you say that, Matt. Yeah, I, I think um, being able to play down in Geelong for all their home games this year is is a huge advantage. Um, some might say it's not an advantage, it's what they're entitled to each year, and I know you're one of those people. But um, I think the ability for them to play, particularly the Hawthorns, the Richmonds, the Collingwoods, um, the Essendons, those big Victorian powerhouse clubs in Geelong, it's going to give them a phenomenal advantage. Huge chance to make it, yeah. And sure. I think, I think when you look at it, if they were playing Richmond and Collingwood, particularly those two clubs at the G, I think you'd probably say seventy percent chance that they'd lose. That's nothing against Geelong. It's just phenomenal opposition, and I'd say you bring them that game down to Geelong, it flips to seventy percent chance Geelong winning. Yeah, just just for the size of the ground and, and the, the width and the length and, and the way that yeah. the wind blows and all those things. Some of these players have never played in Geelong, and I, I remember a, a, a JLT or a NAB Cup or a Marsh Cup or a Wizard Cup, whatever you want to call it, where Essendon played there a couple of years ago, and it was their first time to Geelong in 30 years or something. Yeah, see, they did. And that was for a practice game, not a game for premiership points. Uh, well, yeah, as, as every game is going to be this year for premiership points, obviously, and I think with... Everyone coming down. I think. I think. I think you're very much right. You hit the nail on the head, and they do have a very good chance. As if you turn to some of the people that are say that Geelong's would say Geelong is a little bit slower than than most teams. They don't have a whole lot of pace, but that may not matter this year with the, obviously the shortened quarters. Yeah, playing every game in Geelong. It, it has so far. It has has swung that way. It has and swung the way of Geelong's favour over these past few decisions. And the only thing that might had Geelong have an issue is a lot of people have expected those explosive sides and sides with explosive players like Jordan Degoe and potentially even Christian Petrarca for them to excel in a year like this. I don't see Geelong with that ex- um, someone who's got that explosiveness, but I think Geelong are good in the other way that, yes, they're an older side, but they've got the experience and been able to control. I think this could be still be their year and I think... I said it last year, I thought last year was their last genuine year to win a flag with this group. It's been extended for one year, and I think this is a do-or-die year for Geelong. If they want to get if they want if to, get they, if get they Gaz, want to Gaz, win a the flag, flag, get Gaz a flag. And, I, and I'll be honest, Dangerfield deserves a flag. As much as he's not my favourite player, Selwood and Hawkins probably deserve that one more flag. Great servants of that football club. This is the year. They've got an opportunity, and then the question is for Geelong after that, do they start to look at rebuilding and moving some of those players on? Great servants of the Geelong Football Club, which it's always hard, and I think credit to Alistair Clarkson. He, he, obviously, he's had a few players be a bit salty with him about up saying, yeah, maybe you should look at retiring this year. Like the, the one that comes to mind is Jordan Lewis, but... Say, and also other examples with Luke Hodge and um, Sam Mitchell. Sam Mitchell yeah. um, maybe it's time for you to move to another club just to finish your career. I think they're decisions that Geelong need to probably start to look in at the end of the year. Um, 
but they've they've got a huge advantage this year, and I I I really do hope that they play the the big Vic clubs in Geelong, and if they do have to play an away game in Melbourne, have it against the small Victorian clubs that are the ones that travel to Geelong year in year out. Like your Bulldogs, your Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah. As a Melbourne Melbourne. supporter, nothing irritates me more than looking at the fixture and going, oh, we're playing Geelong in Geelong. That's another loss. Admittedly, we've probably been one of the better sides in Geelong these last couple of years because we've won a couple of games and we had that narrow loss against Zach Tui. We're probably one of the only sides that have got a couple of wins on the board in Geelong. But let these clubs play them on their home deck because they don't get the opportunity because... The Collingwoods won't play them down there. No, uh, and with those bigger clubs, there obviously are more supporters, and you generate more revenue playing at the G. And from a, but it is nice to it is nice to be able to play. Hopefully, play these bigger clubs in Geelong. Yeah, and at least, but um, it gives those Melbourne clubs a bit of a the, the smaller ones. Not advantage isn't the word, but it sort of evens it out for them because you you look at and it doesn't matter which club you are. You look, oh, we're playing in Geelong. That's a loss. Like, that's the venue. Like, Geelong's a quality football club. But with respect to Geelong, I think 50% of that win's got a bit to do with the ground. Maybe not 50, 30%'s got a bit to do with the ground that just pushes them over the edge. And it's brilliant that there's a club that's built that sort of fortress. Yeah, no, as obviously the last 10, 12 years has been pretty nice being a Geelong supporter and having those uh, being 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 one of those dominant clubs and having that stadium that's that's still in Victoria but not the MCG or Marvel Stadium and people have to come down and travel down to Geelong to actually play it's it, it it is it is a little bit of an advantage I would say and being and being a good side over the last few years has has helped that even further um odd thing here Going to change the ball completely, and this is something that I didn't. We didn't put on the rundown meeting, but while we're talking about grounds, uh, it was announced last week that uh, this the Australian cricket calendar was announced on that they'd be playing their test matches, and the key thing to come out of it was, and we've known this for a while, there was going to be a tough decision: which four Australian venues host a test match against India, and. We always knew that Melbourne, Sydney and Adelaide were safe. Yep, for sure. And then it was either going to be Optus Stadium, where Australia did beat India in the last series. Um, last year it was the one test Australia won in that series, where they lost 2-1. Or the Gabba, where Australia hasn't lost since 1988. Oh, it's, 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 it's been a long time. It's been a long time. The question was, did Cricket Australia make the right decision in giving the Afghanistan test... I, I I think it's the Wacker or Optus Stadium. I've, I've, I've seen reports for both. And I just can't remember now. Um, did they make the right decision playing Afghanistan in Perth and India in Queensland? Going on going on last week, some of we were talking about talking about these grounds and what and where they would play and where they play the one-off test. I did. My my, my opinion was that. They would play. They would play that that fifty fifty one. They would play it at the Gabba. I feel like that's that's been a fortress, as you said, for Australia for a very long time. And Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney are always going to get a gig. But I feel like the, the Gabba's that that underrated stadium that Australia always plays well at. They always get 
They always get the, seem to get the job done there. They play some phenomenal games there. There's been some great Ashes Ashes tests there, and 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 games against India and the West Indies and teams of teams of years ago. I think in the end, it's not a great decision for the fans of Perth, but it's probably the right decision. I believe you're going to get. I reckon you're going to get. More, more. There, there is less seats in the Gabba than there are in Perth, but and Perth does get the higher attendance. Um, it's a tough call. It, it's for me. I, I always think that the Gabba is the best wicket in Australia, and it's where Australia wins most. So you would think when you're playing the number one Test team, ah, uh, so we're now the number one Test team, but you're playing. The second best test team, you'd like to play them on the ground where you've got the better record out. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Unfortunately for the <laughs> Afghan Afghanistan team, they're, they're playing on probably what is one of the bounciest wickets in Australia as well. I think. Yeah, oh, to, I to be fair, if Brisbane's still a bit bouncy, it would have been a lot more bouncy than what they thought. And but yeah, the ground, grounds in grounds in Perth are known to to get that extra steep bounce, and you got Mitchell Stark and Josh Hazelwood and Pat Cummins coming at your head. It's it's not going to be too much fun for the Afghanis in in that sole test. But it'll be great to have them down here in Australia, and hopefully they have a bit of fun and. We, we get a half-decent test match out of it. You might see yeah. some new blood in that test match, maybe. Yeah, and we, we saw when, um I think it was India a couple of years ago, we're going to play Afghanistan, and there was there was talk of Virat Kohli missing that game to play county cricket in England to getting used to the uh, English conditions, which he had previously failed at. Like India, And I think India won it in, like, two days. I have two a feeling, days. yeah. And South Africa played a four-day test against another new side a four-day test match so it was longer sessions and it was one in two days i can't, who was it against that's beside the point but just when these teams have historically like the islands and the afghanistans have started they've not they've not been close test matches and afghanistan have probably got one of the most high profile captains in world cricket at the moment with rashid khan who unfortunately has also not had the greatest um, test record, but to be honest, if you're going to be earning 95% of your income and playing your matches in white ball cricket, you're probably going to spend 95% of your time mastering the craft with the white ball over a red ball. So it makes sense. And I think, to be honest, I'm I'm really excited about seeing Afghanistan out here. New team, we've never played them. I love the, the underdog story it's just a shame that um it's a shame that we couldn't do five tests against india play it in perth and then play um afghanistan in hobart or canberra yeah that, that's very that's very true it does 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 tend no. to happen though that we do play india in a four test series. yeah it tends to happen all the time we don't usually play them in a five test series it is always four which is and kind of i fun. think it's really good um as much as if it had to be i would have loved to um not loved but if it meant the only way we were able to play india was with four tests at the adelaide oval it would have been boring but i'm glad that they've been able to get um Use all the grounds in Australia. And just confirming what I, we, I was unsure earlier, the one-off test against um, Afghanistan is at Perth Stadium. Not the Wacker, which 
think many people were expecting those sort of boutique matches to be at the Wacker. Um, but I still think, who knows if we're allowed fans there. That's, yeah, that's, that's, just... that's, that's the other great unknown. Um, India are playing a day-night test at the Adelaide Oval. Um, like, look at, I think if you look at it from a competitive point of view from Australia, you play the Gabba first up, which you've never lost. You then play a day-night test, which Australia's never lost a match. They're the most experienced day-night test team in the world at a ground that they've also dominated in the pink ball game. You think, you'd almost say that that's too zip by the time you get to Melbourne. Well, if 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 you were to look at it like that, it it, it really could be if if they play their cards right and play play the right team and play the right yeah. And then you, well, you just hope that the MCG wicket's got a bit of life in it. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. That's always that's the question. another question. And then you've got the SCG where India are actually pretty historically are pretty good at. Yeah. So in- so I think Australia's sort of hoping to get that. Like if you're looking at it as a tough thing, Australia win the first two. Hope to draw worst case scenario in Melbourne because India are very good in Sydney. I'm not saying that Australia won't win in Sydney, but um, it's just a, it's a from a setting a series up from an Australian point of view a really good schedule. Yeah, no, yeah, hundred percent agree. And I think obviously it's always going to be a good series when India come down under, and obviously there's plenty of Indian fans down here as well, and I'm sure. Many will travel over, and the, the crowds will be insane. And if if they're allowed, if they're obviously if they're allowed, sorry, I, I sometimes I forget these things. But yeah, if they're allowed to travel down and do all these things, it could be really good. But in the end, it'll generate a lot of revenue for Cricket Australia, and and it was be a good series. In the it end. was also reported during the week, following up from our World Cup discussion last week, that it is Cricket Australia have requested to postpone the event because it's just looking increasingly more unlikely. Um, they've suggested next year, um, which could mean that there's two World Cups, one to finish the Australian summer and then one at the end of the year. I, I still don't like the idea of two World Cups in one year. I hope that they can push the Indian one back or, worst case scenario, to Australia in 2022. Um, I, I, the reason why I say it might be better for Australia to do it in 2022 is it might be better to only postpone one tournament instead of postponing two even though the, the Australian one should be first, doesn't mean it has to be. Yeah, no. And definitely. it's a critical summer for Australian cricket to reset their financial books. As it's been no secret of the financial troubles that they've had. Yep, yeah. And they're going right. to, and, and, and people might say, why didn't they do the World Cup instead of the Test summer? Australia going to generate, or from a Cricket Australia perspective, they're going to generate significantly more money from a four-test series against India than a World Cup. You might think that seems weird, but the ICC get more uh, get a cut with an ICC event, which the World Cup is. So it's it's a lot of that. And I know other people are going to say, oh, but India are coming down. Why can't everyone come down? The thing is, India's one team. It's not the whole cricketing world. Yeah, no, completely. So I, I actually think Cricket Australia should be commended for what they've done in very difficult circumstances. Yeah, no, definitely. And sort of moving into a bit of a sport that we haven't taken a yeah. whole lot of look at uh, yet on the podcast is the NRL, as they've been the first the first sport in Australia to sort of kick things off with playing games without crowds and, and whatnot. We found something really interesting that they've been doing 
on on in game yeah, and yeah, when you watch the, the game with the crowd with the crowd noise. It it was actually like, I'm not a huge rugby league fan, and I'll be honest, I was a bit bored Saturday afternoon. I went, ah, it's live sport. I'll, I'll watch that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, the crowd noise it legitimately sounded like you're at the at the game, and I saw a bit of a clip the night before on um Nine News where they were showing that the sound audio d- dude who was controlling the crowd noise sort of can control it. And I know rugby league is a little bit of a different game to AFL footy where the end point when you're charging down the, the ground, it's it's a little bit more exciting and the the crowd gets behind it a little bit more um, and a little bit easier for the crowd to be edited in. But I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, no, I really thought it, really thought it was good, and in particular that bit you, you were just mentioning, as as NRL is an up and down sort of game. You go, you're getting closer to your goal, getting further away from your goal, and as you said, as they're getting closer, the crowd noise start like they turn up the crowd noise, and everyone's excited that there's yeah. going to be a try when there's really not not no yeah. one there. But and it then sort of peters out when it gets back to the middle of the ground, yeah. and they're sort of tussling for position on, on the ground. I think they do that really well. So the whole. A lot of people have been saying all year, or since we knew we would be playing without crowds, do we have artificial crowd noise? Having, I was a bit unsure, but having watched the rugby league, I'm very much in the camp of, yes, we should. Um, it should also be said that the players could not hear this. Yeah, um, correct. It was, yeah. it was just edited for the viewers at home, and I'm actually for crowd noise. And I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be... A month ago, but before I heard this, I thought, oh, it's going to be artificial. You're going to know it's fake. Um, but I liked it. It actually kept me engaged because I, I did find round one very hard to watch. But, yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It, it, I, I was wondering, I was in that camp, is this going to work? I th- and to be honest, I was probably leaning no because I went, oh, it's going to be stupid. It's going to be horrible, but... I actually thought it worked really well, and it, and it did, and it has sounded like they've actually just pulled crowd noise oh, it, from it, 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 from it, games in the past and just used it. Sounds, it, as, it yeah. To be honest, if I didn't know there were no crowd, um, no crowds, I just would have assumed that was the crowd. It was that well done. If if the AFL and Channel Seven and Fox Fox Footy can do it and do it just as well, I'm all for it. Um, even on radio, I, I, I if they do it for the Free to air TV coverage. I hope they do it for the radio because I think the radio almost needed a little bit more. Yeah, a bit of extra noise. Just in the that background. background, just to engage you a little bit more because you can't obvious, obvi- obviously see it. I think if it's done as well as it was in the rugby league, yeah, I'm, I'm for crowd noises. Yeah, I, I, I do think it, it is. It will be a that slightly a bit harder yeah, for absolutely. the AFL to do it. Uh, other than rather than the NRL as it's up and down and up and down, where you, with AFL you don't know when the ball's going to be turning over. You you got the ball and you yeah, in the oh, back and like those types and, of and things. Those sort of great marks and they're not going to have they're not going to have that per se in it. But still, maybe giving that crowd noise vibe. They might not go up and down as much as the NRL can, but just a little bit of noise yeah. in the background I think will help the viewers watch it and be more engaged with and there I, and being I, no fans. And to be honest. Um, I think even having a little bit of crowd noise just in the background, and you've got, you've got like a Anthony Hudson or a BT who creates excitement with their voice, and then the, cr- the crowd background noise adds to it. Like you think of the 
the great commentating calls that these players have, um, commentators have been a part of. You've got the Zaharaka skull. You've got the Nick Davis moments where it's their excitement voice capturing the audience, the viewer at home, and then the crowd just adds to it. Even if it's just a little bit of that, that would be great. It is. It is. <coughs> it is going to be harder for commentators, obviously, because there's no, there's no. They they drive their 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 talk from the crowd and so, what they're getting yeah. from the crowd. So it is going to be difficult for the commentators, but I did think they did a really good job in round one, and I I hope they continue to do that that, that I, good job. I did a um a commentating course in uni, and one of our assignments was was commentating on a recently played game from the weekend, and because there's no live feed of just recorded sound of the footy with the whistle and whatnot. We did a muted thing and commentating without the crowd noise, and obviously we'd done it. We'd never really commentated before. It was it was tough, and I think if you're a commentator that's used to having that voice, and you you can use the crowd to know where the excitement's going. To not have that, it must be really hard for commentating. And we do know now that it's likely that, the, or pretty much everyone's confirmed. Channel Seven's confirmed. I'm pretty sure Fox has also done the same. Is that they'll be commentating off a TV, not at the grounds. And that's another element. Yes, they do do that sometimes in um, the JLT or um, Marsh Cup practice games that they generally do. So the ones in Alice Springs or Darwin, they'll do from the studio back home. But that's just an additional challenge to be added. So it'll. I know all the commentators are used to this and or used to commentating off TVs and they're professional enough to have done it. Uh, few of them have kept warmed up with that with the uh, live recalls, but it's going to be interesting and I think it's going to be, uh, I think everyone's just going to be happy to just see footy back. Yeah, definitely agree. And the commentators, they, they do help make the game and hopefully they're able to do that as they've been practicing with those with those recalls over, over the last few weeks with there obviously being no footy, but I know we're both very excited for the footy to come back in, in, a, in a matter of in a matter of weeks. And there's some there are some great games starting off the season. Doesn't get bigger than Collingwood and Richmond. And then there's Geelong and Hawthorne. If you had to pick four, two marquee games to start the year, they, that'd be it. It's yeah, it's not a bad way to start up. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And there's a lot of games, of games. And then you look at it, like, you, like I, I, obviously I'm a Melbourne supporter, but... For a bottom of the ladder game of Melbourne Carlton, that's exciting. Both of both supporters think their side's definitely going to win. Yeah, it's one, those obviously, ga- it's one of those it's, games. It's one yeah. of the where the supporters think oh, we're playing. We're playing Carlton. Oh, oh we're playing Melbourne. We're going to win that. Like it's that's a great way to start it with matchups that work or a showdown in Adelaide or whatever. I think I think they've done it well. Yeah, no, definitely and. We we for we for one are gonna gonna be watching most games and certainly tuning into the uh, the June the June twenty eight game. I I believe it's uh, Geelong Melbourne on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll uh, be very much tuning into that, and it'll be a very interesting podcast the next time we record. Yeah, um, but that pretty much does it for this week. Um, remember to go through our social media channels and our podcasting websites on Podbeam and Apple Music or Apple Podcast. Jake will just go over the Instagram and Facebook details. Yeah, so don't forget, obviously we've got our Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So share, like and subscribe those please and send them out to your friends and family and even people you don't know, get them interested in the podcast. So 
Thanks again for listening and we'll see you on the next.